Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Rory Hammerbeer understands what it means to really commit to a studio practice, to embrace introspection and humor, to cultivate a space that is unrestrained and playful. His work is about craftsmanship on multiple planes, from the physicality of building and making to never settling and always endeavouring to question and reframe his ideas. He inserts vulnerability as a strategy for world building. There's something about like having this like careful craftsmanship, but as well as like creating this environment where everyone feels comfortable. It's a space where you can let yourself be vulnerable. You can let yourself be exposed. You can let yourself embrace humor as like what it is. It's like this like device that exposes both like joy and tragedy as like so important to the human condition. I'm Jen Fletcher and this is The Messy Truth, conversations on photography. Rory is an artist working with photography and film. He recently graduated his MFA in photography from Yale School of Art and uses his work to interrogate and explore notions of masculinity, queerness, performance and history. He lives and works in L.A. I was born in Maine and I grew up there in Massachusetts, New England. Um, But my parents are boarding school teachers or formerly they're now retired. So I grew up on boarding school campuses, which is these kind of little bizarre communities. I often refer to them as like the wasp commune, um, quite <laughs> Anglo-Saxon Protestant commune, because there, you know, for example, like I grew up in a house where my house was connected to a dorm of 24 um, high school girls. And, you know, that was my life was just having this dormitory next to, next to me and everyone I knew all sort of my friends, my age, as well as their parents who were teachers at the school, all kind of lived in this sort of similar existence. So we sort of have free range um, over the campus, you know, and the school is specifically where I mostly grew up. It's the oldest continually operating boarding school in the United States. So there's just like a lot of tons of old stuff and, you know, no one ever really stops you. And there's all this kind of like, you know, woods and fields. And it was just this wonderful place to kind of just have this, you know, lucky to have both the safety to, but also um, the privilege to just explore and kind of like, you know, have the space to um, kind of let my imagination go. That's a very particular upbringing. That must have been kind of wild being in that space. Yeah, it's funny, you know, there's a lot of like uh, writers like John Irving who had a similar experience and writes a lot about it. And, you know, it's interesting when you like hear, when I hear of like other you know, artists or writers who've had similar experiences being like a boarding school kid, a faculty brat, because <laughs> the experience does have, they all have these like really similar echoes. And like when I like consume that kind of media, I'm just like, oh, wow, this really hits a weird place. I don't think reverberates with a lot of people. Oh, so interesting. Yeah, it's very, it's kind of like a weird, like there's like sort of like a transience to it. Um, I don't know how to, 
I've been spending a lot of time trying to figure out how to describe it because it is such like my childhood. But yeah, it's interesting. So how did you find photography? Like what what connected the dots there? Growing up, I was just big into art. My father is a ceramic artist and he was an art teacher. Um, so I was just, you know, drawing as long as I, as long as far back as I can remember. And I wanted to be, my, <laughs> my, my career I wanted to be as a child was an animator. I was just obsessed with like all animation. And, you know, you know, I got into other things growing up. And by the time I got to high school, I really wanted to do, you know, I want to say like a film class. I was like, yeah, I want to, you know, all these stories. So I was like, I want to be a director or something, you know, like it's like 14. But all of my friends were like, we're going to take a black and white photography class, you know? And I was like, oh, that sounds so stupid. <laughs> you can't sell stories that way. No, but it was like literally peer pressure. I was like, well, I want to take the class with my friends. Yeah. So I took the, I took the photo class instead. Um, and, you know, it's like one of those things where before you know it, you realize you're just spending all of your time in the labs, in the dark room. And like, you don't, you don't even sort of register at first that you're like, oh, yes, this is what I enjoy doing. There's both like this, like going out into the world and taking pictures and then coming back and having like this very solitary experience, um, which as a teenager feels with the riotous emotions you're going through feels like this really meditative experience and I just kind of also the teacher there um David Oxton shout him out you know he just it, it, it instilled in me this like deep love of the medium and exposed me to like incredible artists and which is very open of like you can really do whatever you want there are no limits and you know let me let me try everything I wanted and I yeah by by the time I graduated I was just you know I was the photo kid that's so funny isn't it because it's interesting to me that you wanted to be a director because you kind of approach photography as a director which I guess will kind of unravel but yeah you know I, I, I thought about it too there's like definitely just considering like every time I've like been like I want to be this type of artist I want to be this type of artist it's always like it's like because I want to do a narrative uh, storytelling mm. thing you know, or you know there's always, it's always like pushing at those limits yeah <laughs> So you graduated your MFA in 2020. What was that experience like in terms of completing that milestone in the middle of a pandemic? Um, it was interesting. I feel very lucky that I got to spend at least like, you know, three quarters of my grad school experience in person. Um, I, I, you know, the, the class below me in the class of 2002, you know, spent so much time like remote, doing grad school remote. I'm just like, that's, that's, you know, that's a burden. That's tough, but, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I got, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it was really just the tail end of my second year. And really the only thing that I missed out on was having like a physical thesis show at the end of the semester, which at the time I was totally okay with because I was, probably going to spend a lot of money on mm. you know, mounting and framing and printing all these things, you know, all these silver gelatin prints. So for, for a moment there, I was like, all right, I'm happy. I don't have, it was like, it was kind of like a relief there, but it is, but yeah, the experience of being like virtual while you wrap everything up and are in critiques is just like, it was very bizarre. Yeah. I imagine it's pretty full on. Yeah, you know, it was just because it was, you know, I was just on my computer all day. And, you know, you're, you're trying to maintain this sense of sanity in all respects. But really, it's like, 
it's really difficult, you know, the physical taxation of that, as well as just the like, you know, just like the, the fact that no one gets to see any of your work in person, how you deal with that and how like almost like, like, you know, like I like during that time I started making these like video conversations. I was like, I'm making this like video resource where it was like this basically dialogue that you would speak along with me, you know, but it was totally because I was in this like quarantine brain, you know. How have you found the kind of post-grad landscape? Because I, th- I feel like, I think there's a lot of pressure throughout your career as an artist, right? I think there's always this pressure that you do your BA and you're meant to be fully formed and then you do your MFA and you're meant to be fully formed. And it's obviously bullshit and you're just always trying to figure out what who, what you are and what you're doing. But how, how was that for you? Um, yeah, you know, I think like it was definitely softer after the MFA because I... Yeah, I had the I had the experience of my BA where like, you know, I went to Bard College for for photos specifically and you know, I spent a really like put so much work into my thesis and you know, had this huge show and I thought it was so great. And then like I like did not prepare at all for anything afterwards. So I was kind of just like, oh yeah, well this degree will mean something and I'll like land some great job. And like it did not. <laughs> um mm. And I kind of had to like fall back on, you know, other things I had been working on. Like um, I worked at a middle school for a year teaching um, English second language, as well as washing dishes at a bakery. Cause there's just like, you know, you, you realize that um, there's a lack of, well, there's, well, it was a great arts education. There is sort of this lack of um, really kind of a mindfulness towards uh, building a career, I guess, you know, which like, I, I do appreciate that. Like it was so focused on like how to be an artist and like that definitely has resonated, but yeah, it's not, not how to be an artist and make money, but, but having that and like knowing that it took me like a, a few to several years to kind of climb out of that and like finally feel like I was comfortable making work after that. Yeah. This experience of leading my MFA has been better. You know, it would definitely, you know, the pandemic um, heightened the black hole feeling a bit. Um, definitely being trapped at home and not having a studio space, which is so crucial to my practice, definitely hampered it. But yeah, this past year, I've been lucky enough to, to, to be fully employed and have a studio space, which is like, you know, allowed me just like that freedom again to, you know, to try things out and like, you know, have have the ability just to like, be my be my own critic which i think is like that that's kind of the we have to like relearn the voice in our head after we graduate from these programs as well as like you know like like learning how important your community is and like you know one of the most important things has been especially in the pandemic is reaching out to to all my friends and classmates and you know encouraging each other and sharing work oh that's so nice to hear you touched then up upon how important a studio space is to you, which is obviously important to lots of people. But I know from our previous conversations, like I think you descri- originally described the studio to me as this space to sort of seek and imagine and rehearse, which I really love. And I wondered if you could kind of talk about it, about what the studio is for you, because it's sort of, it's got a bit more aliveness, I think, than other people's practice, the studio for you. It's sort of, I don't know, it carries a bit more. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I have a couple of rules for my studio where, like, <laughs> where like, my studio is, is a space that's sort of like, I like, to, I like to think of it as a space, of, well, as you put it, but as a space of pure creation where, you know, I don't like to put up any 
work on the wall you know like we're like work in progress occasionally but like for me like if, if, if as soon as my studio becomes like a white box where i'm putting up final pieces on it there, there feels like there's some, there's some sort of like mortality going on and it feels things feel too finished and mm -hmm. i don't ever want things to feel finished in my studio so I, I i like it to be the space yeah of play and rehearsal because another thing i've i've really learned to appreciate is um having to redo things and go back and try things out um, multiple ways and, you know, never settling <laughs> in, a, in a sense until, until you, until you feel you're really getting at something, but, and, and just having fun, you know, and remembering that the, like sort of like what draws me to making work is like the joy in the practice. And I, I don't ever want my studio to feel like this cage where I go to contemplate the fate of my works. I want it to be this place where I can go and just, um, especially now where, you know, I'm in my studio in evenings and weekends. And it's unfortunately this thing I do outside my job, you know, a place where I can like really like, where I've like, I, cause you know, I, I draw a lot. I like, I like to illustrate all my um, photos and ideas. I make lots of lists and I like almost like write like, you know, little stories sometimes. And then I can go to my studio and kind of like um, just have them expand. I love the way that you talk about never settling and that that idea of a practice is an ongoing living sort of organic thing, because I think it's so I speak to so many young creatives and photographers and artists who are in such a rush to make it and, and make things happen. And all of that pressure that comes from like whether you've just graduated or self-taught, but all that that early day pressure kind of people tend to like push the practice out of the way or try and rush through the practice. But it's that exact rigor that you're talking about, that never settling, that really examining something from, you know, and turning it upside down and all of that is so, is so vital to the work. It's so nice to hear you describe it. Yeah. You know, it's like, I, I think my, this is my practice and this is kind of like an overused metaphor, but you know, I feel like I almost have to be a shark. <laughs> I always have to be kind of constantly moving and kind of working because, because yeah, like you said, it's like, a, it's, it, you have, there's a recognition that it's a long game. <laughs> and while I'm very happy with the work I'm making now, I always see like, not how to improve it, but like what comes next, you know, for me, it's like, what image leads to this or, you know, does this lead to like a video or does this lead to something else that you haven't even thought about or haven't even tried? You know, I, 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 like my goal as an artist is to always feel like there is opportunity and there's something new to try. You know, it's, 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 you know, if, it's, if I stop moving all and I settle and I just sort of like, like, you know, these are the images I'm going to hawk and, you know, stake my career on. I feel like that's, that's the artistic death right there. And that's, that, that's what keeps me up at night. So yeah, it, it's a drive, but it's like, it's this like drive of like, there's, <laughs> there's so many flavors to taste, you know? Why, why yeah. So? I wanted to talk to you about performance because it's one of the things that I'm really excited about in your work. It's such a central kind of principle for you. I wondered if you could talk a little bit about, I guess, what drew you to that performative element and how it manifests for you in your practice. Yeah. So I think, you know, the performance is often um, tied to my self-portraiture a lot. And <laughs> the self-portraiture was sparked by, you know, the the usual necessity of like, oh, there's no one else. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to use myself, you know, and I, I feel like I'm often asked about that. And it's like, that is kind of the, the answer. Well there, well, there wasn't anybody else there. I had to do it myself. But that, in, but that 
unlocked this um, feeling of like, okay, so what am I doing in front of the camera? And what is, what is the importance of um, everything before the shutter snaps, you know? What is, what is that performance? How am I documenting that? How, how does that come across in, in two-dimensionality? And thinking about that has led me to consider like what the actual like practice, <laughs> the actual practice of photo making as a performance and how those two can be kind of become blurred. I can also say about performance, there's something too in like the relationship with the camera and kind of like <laughs> allowing it, allowing it to have this kind of agency and then like capturing you, which I really like, or, you know, as the subject. And that's kind of what I've really enjoyed and what I've really enjoyed now as I'm pushing into video and um, larger kind of narrative film pieces is that the camera is, is a component in, in, in the storytelling, which is it may, may be a very obvious uh, statement, but there's something to, you know, with a background in photography and, and like, and understanding like the importance of the importance of camera handling than to like <laughs> have it be this free, freestanding structure in your work. Yeah. I remember you talking to me about that and this idea of almost like letting it run and you're not sort of, you may be looking for one moment, but you're capturing everything because maybe the mo the moment isn't the moment that's totally premeditated. Maybe it's something before or something awkward or unexpected that happens around it. Yeah, you know, it's not exactly like surveillance. Like I'm not so interested to that idea as much as I'm interested in like the idea of like, yeah, seeing the in-between, you know? And it's mm -hmm. like, like you mentioned, yeah, it's like these sort of like in-between moments. Um, for me, that's where... where so much is revealed there's so much of like you know both the sleight of hand and like real emotion <laughs> is exposed and and oftentimes um you know the humor and the absurdity which are, are two things that drive my work yeah I feel like so much of your practice is operating in this intersection of different things right it, it's got so much sort of weight and serious intent and then you're balancing that with the absurdity and the humor and then it's also like quite carefully choreographed but also there's loads of room for improvisation and that feels like it's almost this sweet spot for you yeah you know it's like it's almost like the thing where like I spend weeks planning <laughs> a photo or you know a video shoot and on I like to have like kind of all, all the the minutiae lined up um and ha come in with like this really clear vision um, but as soon as I get there and have everything set up and everything good to go, it's like that I'm just kind of like, now let's see <laughs> what else, you know, it's like, mm. it's, it's, it's like, okay, let's get what I want. But like, you know, that, that translation of an idea from like your brain to the paper, to the image, like it, it can lose a lot um, or it can be kind of a, uh, you know, a little short-sighted and there's like, yeah, there's that, like, I love that ability then like, then be like, okay, now that I've done the, the rigid take, let's see like what happens when like we try it again or we just let it roll. I wanted to talk to you about casting and I guess my knowledge of your casting is very much in relation to the work you did about masculinity, which we can talk about in a minute, but with that project, and I don't know if you're still doing this, like you were finding a lot of your, models on Craigslist and they weren't actually models they were actors from my memory 
And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about why this collaboration with strangers and, and actors in particular is so generative for you. Yeah, you know, there's something in that first meeting, you know, in that kind of like that, that blind date atmosphere where like neither of you know next to nothing about each other um, and therefore like everything's a possibility and you can sort of discuss everything or you can just kind of put anything on the table that I really, I, I find can be really exciting and kind of like really fits the work sometimes, you know? And like, obviously I love working with close friends and there's certain like intimacies you get with working with, um, you know, people like that because you know them so well and you know that they know your work and they'll be down to do anything ridiculous. But there's something too, yeah, during, especially during grad school, I, I, I cast it a lot via Craigslist. I would just like put ads and I get a lot, I get, I get a wide range of responses. But yeah, it was a lot of kind of like amateur actors, amateur models, people who were just kind of interested <laughs> in being photographed. Mm. And, you know, from there, you can kind of like start having these conversations and just like kind of like about what what they kind of desire out of out of out of the creative practice whether for, for them it's like you know like opera singing or modeling or um tv acting you know you can ha- you you can start, you, you kind of compare notes and you kind of let them influence how i take my photographs in a way it helps keep the energy of a photo shoot static i find which i find really exciting and it, it just helps like my practice grow you mentioned before kind of the rigor around your planning. I'm curious, like just almost like thinking about part of your role as this sort of director within the space. Are you looking for a certain type of character in those moments? Like do you have somebody in mind that you're hunting for? Or is it much more intuitive than that? Um, I mean, with certain pieces, there has been kind of like uh, a look I'm going for. But it's funny in general, I kind of wait to see, you know, who I catch in my net and then kind of like build it around them a bit, you know, like once I have started having that kind of email conversation with them and I kind of get or or talk to them on the phone and I understand kind of, you know, I get a general read of their, how they communicate or, you know, how they look or how they present themselves. I then kind of like tailor, I kind of go to like my, my index of ideas and then I I pull something out and and I tailor it to them knowing that they will be both a, um, a good character as well as they'll probably get something out of it as well. It's something that they're definitely interested in as well. How I came across your work originally was through this brilliant project you did about masculinity, which is almost like too much of a generic statement to really describe what you did. But you were kind of exploring like the theatre of gender and how your sort of photographic frame became the stage to critique and play with the impact and the affect of toxic masculinity which I think is something that all of us have an experience of and I wondered if you could talk about the beginnings of that work and why you personally wanted to make it yeah so that 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 body of work has like a long um evolution uh it started I don't know soon after I graduated from undergrad and I was kind of just, again, like, what am I doing? And I was living in San Francisco. And one of my, one, one type of photography that I can never get enough of is, like, 19th century photography, specifically, like, 19th century, like, exploration photography. Because those, just because it's, like, the images are just incredibly loaded and just, like, there's so much to parse out. 
and there's just like this, you know, also this like otherworldliness to like looking at images that are, you know, now almost 200 years old, but also because there's like, there's this fascination in like the camera operation and seeing how, how like, especially in these quote unquote new environments that, that these like, you know, white Anglo American explorers were heading to um, in the American West, you know, how they were like, how they were attempting to frame the landscape and use these, you know, massive cameras and haul this equipment over the landscape. Uh, one of my all-time favorite photographers is, is photographer Timothy H. O'Sullivan, um, who is an Irish-born photographer who emigrated and photographed um, a lot during the Civil War and then joined several ge geographical explorations of the American West. And I was so inspired and I was just, you know, looking for something to do that, you know, I was like, well, I'm going to get my view camera and I'm going to go on this, you know, I ended up going on two road trips across, across the West, across the desert and um, try and go to as many locations as I can. I spent all this time researching where everything was and, you know, a lot of things don't exist anymore or they're just way out in the desert, but I just, I, I tried my best and then sort of reframing them. And the whole thing was this sort of exercise in, um, you know the masculine process of image making and the photos themselves you, you know they were they, they were you know they were they were an exercise and um they definitely you know broke me out of what i was kind of used to at that point um which i'm so grateful for but yeah that then evolved into taking more of a closer look at kind of just like the fabrication of masculinity and masculinity, especially like how all of Western tradition, all of like Western art making tradition has like a, has a common gaze. You know, now I'm living or now as in, at the time I was living in Brooklyn and I had this tiny little shared studio space. So now everything was table size or, you know, um, trying to reconstruct these things in this, in this space that I had. And yeah, th that also fed to it. And it, it, it became this sort of like, like the, the more work I made, the more like the finger kind of turned around and pointed at myself, which like helped me then kind of um, devolve the work e even farther and um, kind of spread it to different areas. And this was also like in 2016, you know, right after the, election and <laughs> I think I'm like almost look back at those times fondly now um but like you know <laughs> but there was like this like energy there you know and it's like it was like well I need to I need to make this work as that's engaged but like how do how do I specifically make work that is engaged which is I think is, is something that like you know every artist has to struggle with um and it's very important and it's something I'm still sort of figuring out but that you know it raised so many questions and it, and it also like put, had me really have conversations with like contemporary work that was being made and contemporary work about masculinity and about, um, you know, queer identity and um, its corporal depiction, you know, things like that. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about this because I know it's something that we both feel pretty... I was going to say rageful, but we don't feel rageful about it, I don't think. But I guess we we feel pretty... We've, we're fired up about it. We're fired up about it. We've got some energy. But... I guess to take one step back, I think that is what's so rich about this work. I mean, it's just such a fascinating exploration of masculinity from so many different angles. And it's so playful and funny and dark and haunting and traumatizing. It's like all, it's everything. But then you also layer it with this kind of collision with queerness, which is really 
it just adds so much more to to the, that theme and kind of gives us such a different way in. And as you say, like that tension between masculinity and queerness is so often rooted in a kind of highly sexualized depiction of the body. Um, that's what we're seeing like time and time again. And I think that has a place, but I just, it feels, it just feels a little bit reductive. And I guess uh, I'm hungry as like a queer person to see many different manifestations of this. And what's so great about your project is that I think you're kind of actively working against that trope to kind of reach for something deeper, to reach for something beyond the surface. Yeah. You know, I think, I think what tires me the most in any, in, in any kind of contemporary work being made is too much of like this like monoculture, this monogaze, I guess you could call it, where, you know, the work might be really exquisite and well done, but it feels, the gaze feels so redundant that um, it, it begins to lack this like identity of artists, which I think is crucial. And I think almost at times, you know, the subject matter can like outweigh like what the act, the artist's actual intentions are as well as just become like a victim of like the art market and its wants so to me it's like you know if we if we want to talk about specifically about queerness you know queerness to me is like you know one of the things i cherish about it is that it's just like this it's undefinable in its kind of like spectrum and glory and multitudes and i cherish how everyone's how every queer person's experience is unique yet has has this you know commonality that bonds us but you know has has you know is in, is it totally imbued with like personal vision um so when i when i um seek out queer work i want it to be work that you know moves just beyond the physical and you know mm-hmm. like th- th- there's something to be said about queer physical existence which I think is important. You know, I crave queer work that is queer on all, all levels because I'm not just queer in the bedroom. I'm, you know, queer, you know, on the street, going to get coffee, going to the post office, you know? And there's so many levels where it's like just in involved in our life that I, I think that a lot of contemporary queer work can be kind of um, um, forgetful of or doesn't spend enough time with, you know? Um, queerness is not just physical. I totally agree with you. And, and and I love the way it manifests in your work as this, it's almost, it's a process. It's a visual strategy. It's a way of seeing. It's, it's an openness. It's an imagining. It's like, it's all of these different new, endless, multiple possibilities. And that's what feels so generative to me about your stuff, for sure. One thing I wanted to ask you about is the, which kind of kind of builds on that really is that your photographs are so energetic and emotional and they kind of thrive on this certain vulnerability which is both kind of disorientating and clarifying for me as the viewer and and I wanted to ask you about I guess it's returning to what you said earlier in terms of like how do you keep pushing the idea or keep pushing the performance so it really exists in that space where it's sort of intangible and dynamic and really alive because you do it time and time again and I know that's not easily done there's something about like having this like careful craftsmanship but as well as like creating this environment where everyone feels comfortable it feels like it's a space where you can let yourself be vulnerable you can let yourself be exposed you can let yourself embrace humor as like what it is it's like this like 
device that exposes both like joy and tragedy as like so important to the human condition. I think it's like, it's having you and like any subject kind of like tune to this frequency of like, there is importance in play. There's importance in, um, in what you do and in, and in having these moments and that, you know, it's not about like turning on or turning off, you know, it's not like the actor going in front of the camera and like to have doing a take, you know, it's like putting yourself into this like metaphysical space where like, you know, it's like almost like a detached reality, you know, which is like also kind of like how I kind of think of my work working like in this like sort of like parallel world where you know we're not conflicted by the constraints of um of having to perform as yourself as this kind of like already defined character i guess is a way to put it you know it's it's funny because like right now i'm making one of this video work that is i'm using myself kind of as the subject and it's i'm I'm, I'm thinking a lot like as i switch modes between like actor and then director you know and i will literally like take take off the wig so that I recognize myself as like <laughs> um, a different person, um, but like you know, it's 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 a, it's like the idea like I can you know I'm contain multitudes. It's it's every, everything kind of informs itself, which is something I really enjoy. You know, it's like I enjoy kind of like being a part of it all. You know, and people are like, oh, can I like you know help and run everything like behind the scenes? So I'm like, yeah, definitely, it would help me physically. But like, there's like something too of like. I kind of like going back and forth and I kind of like, because that's where, you know, again, where it kind of gets messy and like things get revealed and um, especially with like what I'm doing now, again, when, yeah, as like an exercise of sort of like introspection and vulnerability through, through, uh, <laughs> through comedy, it's like, I, I want the roles to get a little blurred. Um, and I think that'll ultimately help the um, viewer when they see this piece kind of like feel also like, at first, like maybe a little unsettled about what they see, but then kind of like um, embrace the kind of fluidity of of the work. There's so much I want to touch upon in what you just said. I guess one thing that I wanted you to say is like physically building things is part of your practice as well. Like building the set, imagining the set is also quite significant for you, right? You are very hands on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, hand, you know, hand building and like crafting, it's, 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 it's part of the process just because like, I, I love the physicality of something I, that, you know, when I, when I make something, when I make like an actual like piece that like, it helps me feel like the, the image I'm creating or the world I'm creating is like this, this, this other place. I don't know if I want to ask you this, but I kind of do. I feel like it's me being weird. But I realized last time I spoke to you, I never asked you about the puppets. I purposefully didn't ask you about them because I'm quite disarmed by them. And I think it's like they do something weird to me. Like their presence is so, it is like it's play, it's that absurd side of your work. But I'm curious, like, do they have like a personal resonance for you? And I appreciate you may not want to reveal this, but I'm just curious, like what you've got to say about the puppets. No, I am. I get asked about the puppets frequently, um, so and I, I appreciate it. And it's 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 almost like the best part of the puppets is being able to see other people's reactions to it uh, <laughs> and how they respond to them. Because like I think that's like the most important. I mean, like that's the most important thing about like, puppetry, like through the ages, and why we've kind of used them as these avatars for characters. But like you know, it's it's funny because when I first showed the puppet work. They were like, everyone, all the critics were like, 
why puppets? Why did mm-hmm. you make these puppets? And this was like over like I had been, I had made them like over winter break when I was the only person in the building like <laughs> in my studio. Everyone else had like gone to like some distant location, and I was like, I'm gonna stay in Connecticut. And I, you know, I, I like you know without without missing a beat, I just responded to the critics like because I was lonely. I needed companions. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> like, like like it was it was so empty in my studio. And no one was around. So I made these and I kind of like, they be kind of became these like people like, you know, as I'm in my studio, like working and talking to myself as I do, you know, they kind of like, they kind of filled that void. And yeah, I think there's something about that. There's something like, like that, that like human urge to like have these reciprocals for, for our um, innermost thoughts and feelings that I, I, I love. And I love how these puppets kind of like, you know, they're, they're almost like a therapist doll and they kind of like draw this out of people and a way they can also just act as total, just like deadpan objects when they're just used as like these like stand-ins. It really gets at the humor and uh, yeah. And the absurdity again, it's just, I sort of see them as a a rhythmic device in some ways, like, um, like something that contributes to the flow of the work. And I know, from memory I don't think you think about your work in projects it's almost like this continuum and so you're kind of I have that experience of like moving through the work and you know masculinity is so complicated right I, for me I find it endlessly complicated and the way that it interrupts my life is endlessly enraging to me but then like yeah and and you're sort of moving through it and what I love so much about your work is that it acknowledges it but it's also very cathartic in the way that you present it but then it's sort of punctuated by the puppets and so it's just like this break you're like in this absurd world where this toxic masculinity is like ruining everything but then the puppets sort of interrupt it as like I don't know they're like they sort of have this weird force of like disarming you but also being your mate and like sort of trying to reassure you at the same time I don't know it's a really funny experience that it totally takes you out of this world in such a weird way that if you would describe the work to me I'd be like that just sounds so weird but then when you see it I don't know you do have this sort of visceral response yeah I mean that was kind of like the challenge when I was really working with the puppets was kind of like you know, because, like, so many photographers and artists have used puppets before, like, you know, like, Charlie White has, like, huge part with puppets um, that are very, like, kind of, like, Sesame Street, very kind of, like, you know, the, almost like the humans are inserted into the puppet world. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, it to me, it was kind of, like, what if, like, the puppets are just, like, existing in our human world? And, like, what if we treat these objects as humans? Um, and, you know... It, or, you know, or what if we even just try and kind of like erase this difference? You know, what does that say? What does that speak to all these things? As well as like kind of like just like thinking about the history of puppets and like how they are so coded with mm. all of these um, masculine tropes, gendered tropes, how like puppetry itself is kind of like this like reduction of the world into these accessible bites um, given to us via performance and how, you know, these totally constructed worlds where, where like the, like the total like artifice and manipulation is like on display um, still transports us um, to like this like headspace where like we want these characters, these beings to like assure us or Mm -hmm. to question us, you know? Yeah. (laughs) They're, they're very deep. I feel like every time I come back to it, I have like 
a different take on the puppets. They are. They are. There's a lot there. They are so loaded and coded. So I have some quick fire questions for you. The first is, how do you deal with self-doubt? Oof. Um, I tell myself that it will pass and I wait till the next day. <laughs> and sometimes I just go on my own website, look at my own work and just say, uh. <laughs> but that's what you have to go through, you know, that's life. Yeah, I agree. Creatively, what can you not live without? Ooh, uh, mm, like at a really fundamental level, I just can't do, deal without a notebook. Just so I can mm. like inscribe my ideas. <laughs> What does art enable you to do? Art enables me to to both channel um, my inner self and just connect with others. You know, I think if there's anything art, there's a necessity for art. It's that it's this it's this thing that humans need. <laughs> they need this like they need this subconscious connection and um, immersing themselves in you know expression. Is there anything that you're unlearning? Hmm. Well, that's a really good question. Yes. Plenty all the time. Um, you know, <laughs> if we can keep it just on like a photo level, I think like, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, always trying to challenge these rules that were kind of beat into my head about like, what is a proper print? What is a proper practice? Last one. Do you think photographs still have the power to shift thinking or consciousness? Absolutely. I wouldn't be in it if it, <laughs> if it didn't, you know, I think, I think photography is a medium that is still largely untapped. Um, and that's, you know, while, while I've, while I've, you know, roped onto so many other things, I stay deeply entrenched in my love for it, for photography. I, I love that you say that. Cause I think you're absolutely right in terms that it's largely untapped. Like there's so much that could be done. Yeah. I agree with that. That's a great answer. To finish up, I wanted to ask you the question, what matters more to you, the process of making the work or the final work itself? Oh my God, the process. I was just, <laughs> the process is so much more important. Um, I mean, obviously I wanted to, I want the final final image to be, you know, as I imagined, but like, here's the thing, you know, and I was just talking about this, I think with Phil, my husband, who is also total, totally necessary for my creative process. I love him. I want to say that like the process itself, like, and I sort of mentioned this when I talked about studio, but like, it's like, like you have that final image and you frame it and you put it on your wall. To me, like there, there's like this reeks of death, you know? And like, I think photography, it's like itself is this medium that struggles so much with like, maybe not struggles, but like has these like such like, you know, has like these connotations of like afterlife and the after image which I, I'm, I'm sort of fascinated by. It is like the medium of death. But like, you know, to me, like I never want to think of my work as, <laughs> as completely um, incapable of having some life left in it. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was so great to speak to you, Rory. Oh, of course. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Messy Truth. You can find more information about today's guests in the show notes. Theme music is changed by Judd Greenstein from the album Awake and design is by Ruby White. You can follow updates on the podcast on my Instagram at Jem Fletcher or subscribe to my newsletter at jemfletcher.com. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts.